And if you would take your Bibles and turn to First Chronicles, that has probably been the weirdest segue from worship to the message I've ever done. Uh, but we're so glad that you're here, and uh, we want you to be blessed today. We truly do. Not just by the fruitcake, but by being in the presence of the Lord and with His church. So, it's preaching time. And in First Chronicles chapter 14, it is a new day for Israel. If you have ever experienced a new day, a new day in your life, a new day for your family, you know how good that can be. Amen? Well, in Israel, in First Chronicles chapter 14, it's a new day. Saul had been unfaithful. He's out. David is now the anointed king of God's people, Israel, just as God has promised through the prophet Samuel. And David then starts getting after it. He conquers Jerusalem back from an enemy army, and his new authority begins to unite all of the people of God. Reunited, and it feels so good. He is bringing everybody back together again that is under the name of Yahweh, of God. And according to the scripture, David became more and more powerful because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. God with us. We just sang about it. Not just knowing that God exists, but having the presence of God with you. David was leading, the people were winning, and thus begins the good days of David. If there is a sermon title to this message, as we get to where a gift is given, it's that the days of David and his leadership, these are the good days of his leadership, the good days of David. Yes, this is a record of his good days, but we all know that David had some bad days too. And those are recorded as well. And you should learn from those bad days of David just like you should learn from our consequences of our own sin and bad decisions that we've made. But it's also important to look back to when days were good and, and learn from his faithfulness. And according to First Chronicles chapter 13... One of David's first orders of business as a king who has things going in the right direction is to bring back the ark of God. That's what the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 3. David wanted to bring back the ark of God, the presence of God, for we neglected it during the reign of Saul. He didn't keep doing the things that he saw that were negative. He turned over a new leaf. He did something different. The ark of God that's mentioned the, in the scriptures, the ark of God represented the throne of God and was to be kept in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, the place where the high priest would enter to present the sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sin of Israel. Now, over time and prior to David, some of those leaders, key leaders of God's people, decided to give more honor to themselves than to God. I'm going to ask you even now, as we are sitting underneath the Bible and the teaching of the Scriptures, are you giving more honor to yourself than you are to God this morning? Because there were priests and even a king over God's people that began to honor their name and their life more than they honored God. Some were leaders in the kingdom, and the Lord told them this, and God help us, if he ever says this to us, I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. Don't you take lightly of God. For God will honor those who honor him, despise those who think lightly of him. So because of this, when those priests and that king began to think lightly of God, the ark of God, the presence of God, was captured by an enemy king, an enemy people group. And because God was like, 
I let you capture me, but you won't keep me. He then had them return the ark back to the Israelites. And then the king that they rejected God for ended up neglecting the ark of God. And so God says, I will honor those who honor me. But for those who reject me, I will despise them. To neglect the ark of God was to neglect the company and the authority of God. I want you all to hear me today. The scripture only records one time when Saul, the predecessor of David, sought to give attention to the ark of God. One time, as the king of God's people, did Saul actually bring attention to the ark of God, the presence of God, which, which meant that there were a lot of self-reliant choices, a lot of leadership decisions that had no question of God, but only a thought of maybe this is what we should do. But now there is a king on the throne in David who is seeking God and the people of God are winning. Let me ask you a question I've asked many times before. In the scoreboard of your life, are you winning or are you losing? Lately. How many spiritual victories are up there compared to the spiritual losses? Is it good days or bad days? Walking with God, what does that look like? If your name is up there and God's name is up there, are you winning over the presence of the Lord? Because right now what you've got is some good days of a leader who is seeking God, dependent upon God, and the people of God are winning. There is a new day and hey, God is still alive and you can have a new day too. The good days of David's leadership are dependent. Before we go any further, would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, if there is any child, teenager, adult, senior adult, in between, anybody that is distracted from your word today, I pray, O oh Lord, that they would take note that they are underneath the Bible of the Most High God. And Lord, today we would give you attention and honor, for you honor those who honor you. Lord, help us not to be distracted by anything or anyone. I pray, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that you would teach us today what we need to know for our life, for it is not our own. And we are underneath your authority and need your company. In Jesus' name, amen. The good days are dependent days. The days of his leadership were dependent days. In First Chronicles chapter 14, as soon as David desired to do right by God, you read chapter 14, here's what you notice. As soon as he becomes king, the, the whole kingdom's being unified. As soon as he is in that position, opposition was immediate. An enemy army raised up the Philistines against him. In chapter 14, verse 8, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. Y'all, listen, you better know today that if you're turning over a new leaf and you are, are, have just been saved, you've just started getting into a group, your family's trying to get it back together, you are headed in the right direction, you better know that opposition is coming your way and coming soon. For the enemy does not want your growth. The enemy wants you to be stalled, wants you to live in the same old position you've always lived in, wants you to stay in a mindset of suffering, wants you to stay in that place. If you are desiring to do big things for God, great things for God, or even take next steps in the right direction, you will see that an enemy will come against you. A spiritual opposition. And now David, David was no stranger to leadership. He was no stranger to war. Here comes this enemy army. It probably didn't rattle him like it would have rattled us. He had experience. He had knowledge. He had victories on his side. David had, had all of these things going. He had influence. He had power. David was becoming one of the most powerful men in the world. 
And while Israel celebrated him as their king, David saw himself as a servant. You know how I know that? Because twice in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, he goes to God like a child and says, God, should I do this? David, twice it mentions this, David asked God what to do. He asked God, should he go and fight? He did not just assume that he knew what God would say. He he, he did not go fight and then back up and say, God, was that all right? David asked God before he made one step what he should do. I want you to take note of chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. So Saul died. Now, this is the predecessor of David. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. Now, the king that God said would be king over the people of the Most High God goes and seeks counsel from a medium. Now, don't forget God's word where it says, I'll honor those who honor me. And then the Bible says in chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, so the Lord killed him. Did y'all hear me? So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Y'all, when you hear that, if you're like me, when you read that, you may think to yourself, I don't know about that. That seems a little bit harsh, don't you think? But the main character is not you and me. The main character is God. The, the number one will of anything is not the will of you and me. It's the will of Almighty God. So when we are looking at this scripture and we see that God was taking his kingdom very seriously and the guy that he put in charge of his people was seeking a medium and not talking to him at all, God said, that's enough, you're out. There, you and I are not the main character. When it comes to the scoreboard, our name shouldn't even be up there. And so we should not question the character of God when we see this passage of Scripture and these few verses. We should not question the character of God. We need to question the character of you and me. See, we are subject to God. How dare we put ourselves on such a pedestal that we would judge God for what he's done and his actions? We are subject to God. It was Saul's fault, not God's fault. God had brought all this to him. He was under the responsibility of God. And long-time Christian, let me ask you this. Since Saul did not ask God, but David did, have you stopped asking God what to do? In your life, have you stopped asking God what to do, where to go, how to be, the decisions that you're making? Think about when you were young and growing in the faith and you just came to know Almighty God, the Most High God, that He is alive and well and listening to your prayers. And we used to be dependent as children. Lord, who should I marry? Lord, where should I go to college? Lord, what job would you have for me? Lord, what should my major be? And all of a sudden, we have got so old and big and bad that we stopped asking God about things. Well, David hadn't. David was about to fight a war. He knew he had the experience and the knowledge. He knew how to win wars, but he was not the deal. He belonged to God. Therefore, he asked the Almighty, what should I do? If you ever get to this place of where you're thinking, I just don't know what to do. Have you asked God? 
The, the thing I, I thought, God with us, the whole Christmas theme, right? God with us. There used to be a time where the people of God would go through a priest and then they would take it before the Lord and do all these things. Well, listen, now our high priest who is Jesus, who mediates between us and God, lives on the inside of us. Somebody thank God for that. So now every, y'all don't have to come up here every day and talk to me and say, would you please put this before God? I mean, you can if you want, but we should pray together. you got the Lord God living inside of you. That is the good news, that when you want to turn to God and ask Him something, you can bow your head, close your eyes, and if you have turned from your sin and turned to God, you will know that God is listening because you are right with God and you've got attention with the Most High God. Man, do it. Become like a child, just like David, and, and ask Him what to do. For those who influence others in a position of Christian leadership, are you consulting the Lord for your work? Or are you just going on about it hoping that he'll bless it? Well, oh, you sure? Y'all, all of us can go to work. We can go to school. We can go to homes. And we can make decisions for ourselves. In fact, we probably do that all too often. And you can do these things. But if you have a right and real relationship with God, you are accountable to God for how you act and how you make decisions. The things that you do, the way that you spend your time, have you approached the decisions that you're making for your children, for yourselves as individuals? Have you approached those decisions with God or just hope God will bless it? Because David, the king of God's people during the good days, is putting everything before God. Y'all, we've got to stop hoping God will bless something when we hadn't asked him about it or even sought him in his word. Y'all, we've got to stop asking God to bail us out after we've made a decision and not consulted him at all. Y'all, let me ask you a pair of something. Let's say a teenager left for the beach. Didn't tell you. Just left for the beach, got down there, you found out they were there, and then they call you and say, hey, mom and dad, I'm at the beach, and I didn't ask you. I hope it's okay. Oh, by the way, I ran out of money. I'm going to need you to send me some. Y'all good with that? Everybody good? Is that not what we do? Lord, I did it again. I did it again, Lord. And you should go back, always go back, because he is long-suffering, patient with us. But it would be better that we learn after that trip to the beach where we lose all our money and the next time we ask him if we can go. Because God knows whether it would be good if you do or not. So should we not get so mature in our faith and so high in knowledge that we would not seek the Most High God. David did not run ahead of him. He put his decisions before the Lord. He sought God before he moved. And, listen to this, he didn't have in mind what he wanted to do when he talked to him. Like David didn't just say, yeah, I prayed about it, but I'm going to do this whether he says or not. No, we're going to fight them. I don't like them and y'all don't like them. Do y'all want to win? Who's with me? Yes. God good? Okay. He, he sought God and asked him what to do, not assuming that he would tell him one way or another. He really wanted to know how God would lead. If you have a decision before you and you're praying about it, do you really want to hear what God's going to tell you? Or are you just praying just to say you prayed before you act on it? Because God really wanted to hear from him. Both times in 1 Chronicles 14, and the, and the second time, the Bible says that he asked God, and the second time says that God moved ahead of David. Now listen, think about that for a second. Are there times when we could have had the Lord fighting our battle or preparing our way? 
but we didn't even ask him. Didn't even call on him. Making decisions, y'all, if I'm just being honest, in college, I did a lot of this. It's my life. It's my freedom. I'm now this old. Give me a break. If I could go back and hit myself in the mouth, I would. Lord, you good? With one eye closed, one eye open? All right, I'm going to go for it. This is how I feel. You've made me this way. Give me a break, man. That's when I'm the main character and not God. The good days of David's leadership are dependent. I've told you this before. Y'all know what I do at the beginning of the week before I preach on Sunday? I ask God what he'd have me to say, straight up. I just ask him every week. I feel like it's always worked. I don't want to get off that path, for sure. Secondly, the good days are dedicated. They are dedicated days. This is the longest point. Stay with me. They are dedicated days. Chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, David now built several things for himself in the city of David. And even now, as we are looking at this verse of Scripture and thinking about dedicated days, let me ask you and yourselves as individuals and you and your families, what are you dedicated to? Think about it. What are you dedicated to? What is your time and your resources and your values going towards? Because here in the Scripture it says, David now built several buildings for himself himself in the city of David. But then the Bible says this. That's not the end of it. He also prepared a place for the ark of God and set up a special tent for it. Now, Saul never even sought out the ark of God. But David prepared a place for God. David set up a special tent. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, David built buildings and heck, he only made a tent for God's presence. Well, that's how it was supposed to be in Exodus. And, and David, and you go on to read it, God doesn't need anything built by human hands. It can be wherever he wants to be. But, but he did exactly as he should and set up that tent. Three times in the scripture, it mentions that King David prepared a place for the ark. Three times he prepared a place. I prepared a place for the ark of God, the company, the authority, the presence of God. David just wanted to be with God. He wanted all his folks to be with God just as well. And David lived in a city named after himself, the city of David. He now had several buildings for himself. He had fame. He had the fear of nations. But what caused him to summon all of Israel to Jerusalem was not his glory, but God's glory. He was dedicated to the company and the authority of God to build up a place for the ark of God. Do you know why? Because Israel could not be the people of God without the presence of God. Now, I want you to hear that, families. I want you to hear that, teenagers. I want you to hear that, Christians. Israel could not be the people of God without the presence of God So David, the leader of God's people, was preparing a place for him. He was setting up a place for God. Oh, yeah, they fought. They fought against these enemy armies, and they won, and they celebrated, and they benefited, and they advanced. But none of that, none of that crowded out David's desire for God's presence. He was building a house for himself, building a house for his family, but none of that crowded out the desire for God. Y'all, I was asked to pray at our state convention recently. Our former pastor had a lot to do with that. And so I get a call and says, hey, we'd like for you to come and pray at the state Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm thinking to myself, now, how'd you get my number? And I knew and figured it out pretty quick. But 
I would love to tell you all this morning that I walk so closely with God that none of those dignitaries and none of that stuff bothered me to my heart and mind at all. I was so spiritually prayed up and ready to just blast a God-fearing prayer over those people. I'd love to tell you all that I'm so in my spiritual self that none of that got to me. But then I saw my name in the program and I thought, that's pretty cool. And then I'm standing before all these dignitaries who I've heard their name for a long time, seen them preach and speak for a long time, and now they're going to let me on that stage too and say a prayer. And I thought, that's, that's pretty cool. Told Brittany, I said, she was like, well, how's it going? I was like, well, I'm the only guy that took the stage without a jacket. Probably should have known that. <laughs> you, see, you see all the things I'm thinking about? I'm serious. You see, all the stuff that I'm thinking about, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the words that I'm going to say during the prayer, and I'm gonna, am I going to say the right words? I'm thinking about how I, I, my name is, is in a program and people are taking pictures, and I'm thinking about how, what words should I pray before these dignitaries and all these things. All of this is out of balance, y'all. It's out of balance. It's an opportunity. It, it's recognition. It's the desire to pray a meaningful prayer. And listen to me. Do y'all know this? Those things are not bad things. The opportunity to lead, even recognition, not a bad thing if you know what to do with it. Praying a prayer that will make an impact, talking to God and make sure that you are. All of these things, not bad things. But if I've not prepared a place for the Lord, if, if my desire has more to do with me than the one who has called me to even get up and pray, then I have all things out of balance. When you prepare a place for the Lord, when you set up a place for the Lord, then everything else is ranked below that place. Therefore, when I get within the Holy Spirit who's trying to draw me away from all those selfish thoughts, I finally just get up, close my eyes, stop thinking about scripting a prayer, what I look like, and I voice a prayer in the name of Jesus over the decisions. Because then once he's at the proper place, you know that he's the main character and you're not. That's the thing that puts our life in balance. If your life is out of whack, if your life is out of balance, it's probably because the place that you prepared for God has now dropped to about three or four. And that's when all things start to get out of whack. I'm going to tell you personally, when my desire for the Lord is the greatest urgency of my life, the rest of my life, has perspective, growth, and balance, for real. When I have an urgency of God above all the other things, all the other things make sense. All the other things fall in a, a proper place. Can I tell you all this? We can say all we want, that we've prepared a place for the Lord, but if we don't ever go to that place, then we've not prepared a place. If the Lord God Almighty lives in us as we are believers... He is working on us now as He resides in our heart. If we never go to that place where God is, we the line or we hadn't been there in a while. When we never walk with God, when we never talk with God, when we never think with God, as we never plan with God, as we are making our will according to our name, never seeking the Lord. Y'all, you can be in church and still do this. You can be in church on Sunday and Wednesday and never consult God about anything else. Goodness, I would, I would say right now that some of you have not left your week behind and listened to the Word of God yet. It happens. 
And it's because the place that is the highest place that should be the tabernacle, we have put something else and somebody else in that place that's of a lesser value, and now we got everything else out of balance. Now get this theology. God gave his people instructions for the ark in Exodus chapter 25. He said then to the leader that was Moses, he said, I, listen, let's just think about God saying this. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. God is willing to take a meeting. God has said, this is where I'll be. You can find me there. I'll tell you everything that you need to know. It's right there at the ark. God's literal presence with, went with the people in the tabernacle at the ark. That is God being with people. Now, if you fast forward to the New Testament in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us or made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory. We're talking about Jesus. We have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, in that scripture where it says, the Word became human and made His home among us. Made His home literally means set up a tent. Did you hear that? If you heard it and were like, oh, that's cool, then you're on it. If you didn't get it, you haven't been listening yet. Jesus made His home on this earth. He set up a tent among us. And then the scripture goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the tent or the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit is residing in the temple that is us. We have the presence of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God, which we are a temple to. We are a dwelling place of God. Therefore, as we are joined to Jesus and we are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, the prepared place for the Lord now is in our hearts. This is why we bow our head and close our eyes. Because we are seeking the God who lives inside of us. This is not religious stuff, it's biblical stuff. This is why we praise and worship and call on God in our heart. So we go to the place where Jesus is. We are not the people of God without the presence of God. When is the last time outside of somebody prompting you to pray when you for real prayed and asked God what to do? When you have praised God and thanked God but y'all, if we're dedicated to building homes and buying land and making fortunes, if our time is spent on temporary outcomes without setting up a place for the Lord, we're going to find ourselves calling ourselves Christians, but only by the connection to the decision that we made a long time ago. Let me ask you a question. I love this question. What makes you a Christian now? I'm not talking about the decision you made when you were little. I'm not talking about something that you think you can look back on as a place where you have turned from your sin and turned to God, and that's very well and good, and it's important. But what makes you a Christian now? I want you to answer that in your heart and mind. What makes you a believer now in the days that you are walking with God? If God would take a meeting with you, don't you think we need to take a meeting? 
The good days are dependent. The good days are dedicated. The good days are influential. Chapter 15 tells us David's desire for the Lord's presence moved him to invite others towards the same desire. We've got two points and we're out. Chapter 15, verse 3 says, Then David summoned all of Israel to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. He called the leaders, the priests, and all of Israel to Jerusalem. The ark had been repositioned, and now the priests were serving their purpose. But worship and sacrifice and seeking the Lord was not just for David. It wasn't just for a priestly line. It just wasn't for the leaders. It was for all of Israel. Y'all listen to this. They were to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You see, what David was doing was kingdom work. Not Listen, not just a personal relationship with God, but an influential relationship to others. Christians, did you hear that? How are you influencing others for the glory of God and the good of man? How are you? Teenagers, if you're in Christ, you're supposed to be a, a royal priest. College kids, a holy nation. People that have been Christians for a long time, you'll be a royal priest. Your life is to make a difference, to be an influence for the glory of God because it will be towards the good of man. Verses 16 through 23 says that David formed a choir and orchestra. It really does say that. Think about it. David is getting all of Israel together. We're going to have the ark of God set up in a tent just like it should be. And everybody is going to come as we move this to its rightful position in that prepared place and strike up the band because we're going to sing and we're going to have a good time doing it. And this is, this is what David is doing. Seriously, you, you can get a picture of this kind of what we're doing today. They were to sing songs of joy, the Bible says in verse 16. Verse 25 speaks of a great celebration. Y'all, there is a time to grieve. And I hate to tell some of y'all this, though, but there's also a time to dance. And sometimes when we have a good time in here, everybody's like, I don't know about that. I do. Because I see it. My joy is in salvation is a celebration. It's absolutely required of reverence. But there is a time to dance. David danced before the Lord because it got all over him. He knew exactly who he was, who God is, and what he had in God. So there was celebration. This was not the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a time to sing about sin and praise the Savior. But the day when it was being repositioned to its rightful place and God was reigning over them was a time to get up and clap and stomp. Man, it's good. And take note. There are times to grieve over sin. But there are also times to rejoice in the Savior. All of Israel was attending. And many of them were getting into this. You had people that were in the choir, people that were playing instruments. You even had security. That's the truth. Others were chosen to guard the ark. That was the Bible's first security team. They were to guard the ark. And there were also priests the priests who were moving the ark had to be very careful according to the specifics of God. They learned all about that the hard way before. And now you have people that are, are priests that are chosen to blow the trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. Now notice in chapter 15, verse 28. So all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant with shouts of joy. The blowing of rams, horns, and trumpets. The crashing of cymbals and loud playing harps and lyres. 
When David's desire for the Lord became the desire of Israel, that's when you got the good days. When the leader who wants nothing more than to be with God is now leading the people of God to do the same, that's when you got the good days. All the people of God, not just David, not just the priest, and not just those folks playing a horn, but all the people of God are now dependent upon God. All the people of God are now dedicated to God. All the people of God are serving God. All the people of God are celebrating God. Leaders leading well, people following well. Let me tell you something. I can be on fire for God, but that's not going to influence your children. Brittany and I saw a, a few kids in the last few weeks that, that we have been in ministry over at a different church at a different time. And every time they see us, it's one of the greatest honors of my life. Every time they see us, they walk up and say, Hey, Coach King. Hey, Miss Brittany. Really good to see y'all. I didn't see them. They saw us and they came to see us. It makes me feel good every time. And, and we talk about the days when they were a part of our ministry. And for these three that we keep seeing, none of them are in church now. And it breaks my heart, and I invite them every time. But it's hard for the church to overcome what the home has done. It's hard. Think about that. So just know, while the leader was leading, it was all the other folks being involved that really made it unified throughout the kingdom. Once again, church, what is found in the Old Testament for Israel is found in the New Testament for the church. You're a kingdom of priests. And it's not talking about the Old Testament, it's talking about y'all, talking about me. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a holy nation. We are cleansed of sin and clothed for service. We are to impact sinners, that's in the Bible. And in our obedience, we are to offer God honoring works. Not just me and not just a few of y'all, but all of us who would call ourselves Christians. And when we've prepared a place for God and we are serving Him, everything else is going to fall into place. One notable pastor and author said this, God made you good at something. Do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Such a good word. What, are you, what is it that you do that you do well and are you doing it strategically for the mission of God? Are you leveraging your influence for the kingdom of God? Because all this other stuff ain't going to help them if we don't do that. Last week, your giving, your giving supported a meal for over 100 nearby college students where a few of our staff got to serve them, and I got to stand up before every single one of them and share the gospel. Stood up before these 100 college athletes and talked about how God has a bigger and better plan for your life. I don't know if we got the, the pictures on the screen. I've showed them. They may be up behind us. But, but there was a gym full of them eating there. And I'm standing there and I'm talking and y'all listen. It has nothing to do with whether or not you're a qualified speaker or a gifted speaker and all these things. As I was talking about this small little circle that we live in most of the time that has our name all over it, there's a bigger circle that has God's name all over it. And if we'll get that big circle right, it'll make the small circle matter. And as I am talking and I'm sharing the good news that God has made a way for us to be forgiven of sin because it's the bad news that we got it. And the even better news that he has accomplished all the work to cover over our sin and in all the power of God raised from the grave to give us hope for eternal life. As I'm talking to them, a hundred of them, y'all, I'm not even kidding right now. A hundred of them are locked in on me. Do you know why that is? 
It's not because if I was talking about cars or ball or band or education, there would be distractions all over the place. But when you start talking about heaven and hell, and when you start talking about the things that are going on the inside of you, they're locked in because the Spirit of God has got them. That's what happens when we leverage our influence towards the gospel. But I'm just going to tell you, I don't have the influence to get those 100 college kids together. Y'all may think I made a phone call. I actually did not. Y'all know what happened? They called us. Somebody praise God for that. They called us. Our missionary partner that we work with, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, said, hey, would y'all put this on? Would you pay for the dinner? Y'all can speak to them. We said, absolutely. Truth is, sometimes when we have opportunities like that, I think about I'm tithing, and I think about you tithing, and I think about would that be something that I think they want to do? And I think it is. Anybody? So we went, served them lunch, shared the gospel with them. But all of those things start with somebody that is a Christian leader leveraging their influence to get the good news in front of them. So a lot of leaders in here, a lot of them, a lot of good folks in here that are our Christian people that are influencers. How are you leveraging your influence for the glory of God? You can keep it to yourself or you can let it multiply and see a kingdom of folks start serving God. Now, don't miss this in chapter 15, verse 29. And we're almost done. This is the last page. In chapter 15, verse 29, the Bible says, But as the ark of the Lord's covenant entered the city of David, Michal, the the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. And when she saw King David skipping about and laughing with joy, she was filled with contempt for him. There's always somebody, ain't it? (laughs) There's always somebody. It can't be 100% even if it's 99. It's always somebody. Someone who is a sour note to a symphony. And I'm not going to expand on this, but I just want to ask, which one are you? Which one are you? Are you, let's do it, or are you, that ain't ever going to work. Come on. Think about it for yourself, because there's good things happening right here. They are celebrating God, and it's good, and it's a joyful celebration. And you got one up there while everybody's going, let's do it, this is great. And she's up there going, look at him. Are you a smiling face or are you an eye roll? Which one are you? I'm going to tell you, you, you can take the air out of a balloon quick. And sometimes it ain't nothing but you're just being selfish. <laughs> okay. Last thing. The good days are not just influential, but the good days are generous. Here's where the gift is given. In First Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Last point. They brought the ark of God and placed it inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. And by the way, this is the highest expression of worship. This is where the forgiveness of sins is made, the offering unto God that we know who we are and who we're not. And then look at this part. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord And then he gave to every man and woman in all of Israel a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. 
Now, yours may say flagon, which is a cake of raisins that's pressed together. But y'all know what David gave them on that day of celebration? A fruitcake! He gave them fruitcake. There is biblical precedence for this. But straight up, it was a festive day for Israel. It was a good day for Israel. It was a renewed dedication to the Lord. And this is the part that I love because the point is the good days are generous. David didn't just influence them and call them to service. He blessed them. It was within his means to bless them. Catch this before you leave. A heart dedicated to God leads to a mind considerate of people. A heart dedicated to God leads to a mind considerate of people. A king with this kind of power could have said, y'all come to Israel and when y'all get here, bring me some fruitcake. When y'all get here, y'all make sure that y'all bring an offering to the almighty king. But he didn't see himself as a king. He saw himself as a, as a servant. And because he was not thinking of himself and because he had prepared a place for the Lord, he was caught up in the dedication to the presence of God and out of that came a desire to be generous towards man. Now you can say all you want to, that you'll pinch a penny and stubborn with money and all those kinds of things. And it's good to be a saver, absolutely. But if you hold back generosity because you're Ebenezer Scrooge, you're going to have to deal with God on that. Because the good days of his leadership were generous days. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. When you walk out today, many of you that will go through the gathering space, you'll see in that hallway that runs right upside the, uh, the, the wall right over there is filled with bags of Christmas gifts. I just want to tell you thank you. Because as Bradley said, we are a generous church. We're people that love to give because there are a lot of godly people in here. And this Friday night, it's not honestly, I'm so glad that you bought the gifts because that's the hook. And if we're fishers of men, it's just a cast. But we'll have the opportunity before we give those gifts to people in our community to share the good news with them. You have leveraged your influence towards the glory of God and the good of man. And I want to thank you for that. Amen. Hey, let's just celebrate that and give ourselves a hand. Amen. So I'm going to close with this. Let's think for ourselves. In your own personal life, are these the good days? Now, when I say I'm going to close, that don't mean start moving and get out of here. <laughs> y'all hold on just a second. Seriously, because that, that's, y'all, if I can just do a mini message right now. At the end of the service, when we're about to close it down, is when there's a decision to be made by a lot of folks. So let me ask you, are these the good days in your life? Has there been a better day of Christianity? You may even think to yourself, there's never been a day of Christianity. There's never been a day when my life has been alive to God. It's always been just me. Are, are, are these the good days in your life? Is there dependence, dedication, influence? Is there generosity? And listen, good days are not days without suffering. No, no, no. Good days are days with God. Please take that with you. See, it's real simple and real serious in our hearts today. Is our life with God or without Him? Because you can have a real and right relationship with God 
that will give purpose and perspective to every day you live. And you'll be forgiven of sin and bust heaven wide open. Best gift ever. Best gift ever. Let's stand to our feet. As you're standing to your feet, I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes at this moment. If there's never been a time in your life when it's been you with God, as God has made an offer to be with you, then the bad news of that is that your sin leaves you separate from God. The good news is that God has made a way for you to be right with Him and have heaven. And that way is through Jesus. He is God's Son, the way that He's made. And so the terms of God are that we would turn from ourselves and our sin. We don't have to know all the answers. We just need to know that we need Him. That we would turn from our sin, turn from ourselves, and place our faith and our life in the hands of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just going to tell you now as we lead into the invitation, if you don't know what all this looks like, but you're ready to be saved, would you do two things? Would you call on the name of the Lord to be saved in your heart? In your heart, would you confess that you're a sinner and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? And then the second thing is after that you've done that, would you just tell somebody you know you can trust that with so they can help you? We have pastors here at this altar. We have leaders, group leaders, deacons, friends and family here that just want to help. If you need to be baptized, join the church, whatever your next step is, don't let the opposition have you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful. Thankful, O oh God, for where you have made a way for us to be children who don't have to wander around like we don't have a father. For you are our heavenly father. You are a God who saves us but also will be with us. You'll never leave us, never forsake us. Always treat us right. Oh God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, even if we don't know what's going on, that we would just lay everything down before you. I thank you, oh God, for the word that you've given us. And I pray for Christians today in this place that we would still be dependent upon you, dedicated to you, influential in our community, and generous towards others. God, now as we sing and worship, or as we bow our heads and pray, may we respond with a genuine heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.